Good evening, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48, and the rest of the world. It's Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. You're about to listen to episode 16, titled Lucifer Tells His Story. This is part four of a miniseries, so if you haven't listened to episodes 13 through 15, I encourage you to do so. Once again, if you are willing, close your eyes, unless you're driving, and accept my invitation to enter through your beautiful imagination into a hallway. This one leads to a penthouse suite towering over the city of Anchorage. You see a man and a woman, and you hear them conversing. Let's get closer to hear what they're saying. Just a few more steps to your wildest fantasies, Nadia said. Opening the door, turning on the light, revealed the main focal point of the room. A bed with a fireplace now blazing. A marble top bar off to the side, as well as a linen closet full of male and female clothing and a massive bathroom with a huge sunken bronze tub. The bed was fitted with the finest linen and the smell of fresh spices filled the air. She dimmed the lights until the room was almost dark and then literally pranced about in her red satin dress like a mythological figure lighting the many candles that surrounded the bed with a candle lighter like one might find in a church. John thought to himself, she is like a siren of Greek folklore, calling out to his vessel, to the reef, where she would feast on his flesh and leave under the bed piles of dried bones. John said no. She personifies the woman in Proverbs 7 that Solomon warned the young men about. He recalled the simpletons being led like lambs to the slaughter are those who go into her house, for her highway is the grave and her chamber is death. John paused, although it wasn't him being led to the slaughter or to the grave, but he would play the game for now. The woman offered John a drink, a tisio, a Romanian cognac. John politely accepted, sipped the dark amber, and stared deep into Nadia's dark, seductive eyes. Nadia was smolding. She had been waiting. She couldn't stand it any longer. And when just as she was getting ready to pounce, John said, almost stopping her in midair, what happened in Canada? Nadia felt the tsunami of cold water being poured over her fire of her desire. And then she pulled out a Romanian TTC talking to pistol from underneath her dress and pointed it directly at John's head. You have seconds to explain your question. John calmly stared at the gun. How could you lose 500 girls? The bullet fired. John simply caught it and placed it next to his drink. Is that the way you answer a question, he asked. The woman put down her gun. She knew she fired a point-blank range. She doesn't miss. She couldn't have. What just happened? For the first time, she was on the defensive. John waited for her response. Her voice was a whisper. The manifest had some inaccurate information. It made the Canadian border guards suspicious. They opened the back of the semi and found the girls. And, John said, the $3.5 million of fentanyl, Nadia responded. John inquired, 
How do you, as the leader of the Alaska woman's sex trade industry, make sure that this will not happen again? Nadia shared, there's a disciplinary meeting tonight, and there will be an execution of the five who are responsible. John looked at Nadia. There are three rules to your profession. Do you remember what they are? Nadia shared, no mercy, no mistakes, and no getting addicted to the product, whether drug or people. Isn't that fentanyl on your nightstand? Oh, Nadia, John said. What are we going to do with you? John then turned to the door. William earlier in the day had received instructions from John to deliver yet another envelope, and to say he was apprehensive given what happened the last time the guy tried to kill him was an understatement. He walked up to the woman who had jet black hair, dark eyes with a long, slender, yet hard body. Her name was Myra. He gave her the envelope, not knowing what to expect. Would she take on a knife and try to slit his throat? William waited for the worst. She opened it and smiled. She thanked William and walked out of the restaurant. William sat down. He was shaking. He ordered a pizza. He really needs to talk to John about this letter delivery request. Well, at least no one got killed this time, he thought. As John opened the door to leave the penthouse. It was Myra. She was standing in the hallway with the mark of an assassin. With one shot from her suppressed semi-auto pistol, Nadia lay on the floor as her beauty ebbed from her life. John located Nadia's purse and handed Myra her phone. Her code is 666, John laughed. And you know what to do as per my letter. Myra called the second in command at the warehouse where the disciplinary action was to be taken place and gave the order by the required symbol code to execute four out of the five on trial. She waited and was informed that it was accomplished. She then gave instructions regarding the fifth one, who was a woman, and any additional members of the group to be killed. She texted, Execution numbers, different numbers representing each member of the team, which they all received simultaneously on their phones, and then gave the order for all of them to fire at the number represented on the phone. She waited for the call. It was one from her team. They're all dead. All 500 of them? John then looked at Mara. You had all 500 killed? Yes. No mistakes, remember? John said, you know what you have to do now. She brought out a suitcase, opened it, pulled the knife out, and cut off Nadia's head, and placed it in the sealed case that would preserve the trophy and not let any odor out. A change in power would require presenting the head of the previous leader. John handed her the airline tickets for Asia and informed her if she was late, she would lose her life. Myra drove to the airport and said to herself, I'm never late. After John had left his initial counseling appointment earlier this morning with Dr. Lynn, the doc called in a favor to a colleague. He was also a doctor named Jack and also to an EMT named Steve. They were to join him at the apartment of Joan. When they arrived, her door was unlocked. Dr. Lynn called her name and there was no response. They found Joan sitting on the floor in statue-like position. Next to her was a knife, a spilled bottle of pills, and a note which simply read, I'm sorry, it's just too painful to remember. There were no marks from the knife on her body. She didn't seem to have taken any of the pills, yet she wasn't moving. It was as if her mind shut down before she took her life. 
She was in a catatonic state. Her survival mechanism literally saved her. Dr. Lin asked his friends for another favor, and they agreed to transport her to the psychiatric hospital Jack was the doctor at. They placed her on suicide watch in a padded room, for if she came to, she most likely would try to end her life again. When Saturday morning arrived, Dr. Lin got to his office early. John arrived with bitter coffee in hand. Are you ready, Doc? Dr. Lin stared at John. You said Joan would be safe. John replied, She is safe. You saved her life, Doc. Don't you know a whisper from me would have taken her out of that canatonic state? She would have taken those pills, sliced right through her artery, and bled out. You're welcome, Doc. Oh, and Doc, just because she's in a padded room doesn't mean I can't get to her, just in case you were thinking about canceling our arrangement. Shall we begin, Doc? Okay, Dr. Lin sighed. That's the spirit, Doc, but as I said before, you can call me Lucifer. Doc Lin said, whatever you believe. You don't believe I'm Lucifer, Doc? No, I believe you're a psychopath that has a delusion you're the devil, said Dr. Lin. Further, I do not believe in God or the devil exists. Lucifer shared. I appreciate your honesty, Doc. I too enjoy healthy skepticism in humans. It's people like you who help me more than those who may say are evil or you would view as maladaptive. Doc, have you read your Bible? Dr. Lynn shared. He's somewhat familiar with the mythological book. Lucifer shared. Did you turn on your recorder? Yes. Okay. What started in the book of Genesis? It said in the beginning, God, and then he created us. Dr. Lin responded, So your father and mother gave birth to you. Us? Do you have siblings, John? Lucifer responded, As I said before, I do not have parents. This is not a dad and son conflict or a sibling rivalry. I was created. And us, I mean angels. Doc, this simply won't do. I need you to drop your psychobabble BS. Listen to the story like you've done for thousands of people. You don't want to disappoint me, Doc. Okay, said Dr. Lin, I'm listening. Lucifer continued, God made me the most beautiful angel in all of creation. While my very body was created with the colors of his throne, if you look at a rainbow, Doc, all those colors only a zillion times more vibrant. I'm breathtaking. I was one of the archangels. I worshiped God day and night until I didn't. You see, Doc, we had a disagreement. He planned to create these humans to love, made in his image, give them a planet to live on. I didn't think that was wise. This whole free will thing, if he's going to create something, it'd be better off to be like another galaxy. But he was determined, so I decided in my heart I could do a better job. I convinced some of the angels to join me in my rebellion. My plan was to take his throne, and I would be God, and there would be no humans. Well, how'd that go for you, John? It's Lucifer. Okay, how'd that go to Lucifer? Well, we lost. I thought I had a half of the angels on my side. However, actually, I only got a fourth, and we were cast down to earth. Was that your first trauma, Lucifer? No, it wasn't my first trauma. I'm like a cat. I land on my feet. Chalk it down to a slight miscalculation. I was on my game, though. When God created those first humans, Adam and Eve, he put them in stewardship over the earth. They ruled over the earth, but I tricked them. Do you know when humans question God's character, 
It's so easy to lead them down the path of their destruction. They got kicked out of the garden, much like I got kicked out of heaven. And I became God of this world. It was a glorious day, Doc. They fell. I rose to power. I owned their soul and every human that ever existed to include you and your entire family, whether you believe I'm Lucifer or not. Lucifer continued, I remember whispering in the ear of Cain when he killed his brother Abel. Doc, at the height of my power and glory, every thought and intent of men and women's heart was evil. They knew nothing but sin and thus worshipped me. Then the flood came. God started all over again, thinking just saving a few and making a covenant with a bow in the sky could keep me from my rightful subjects. A majority of the world followed me still. But then he chose this nation. What a better way to get back at God than to deceive them into worshipping me. I admit they had their victories. I thought Egypt would enslave them until they were extinct. I heard of a deliverer, and I, and I tried inspiring Pharaoh through the lust of power to kill all the male babies. So many were thrown in the Nile and cut up with a sword. But Pharaoh didn't kill them all. And God delivered them using that reed kid drawn out of the water. I didn't see that coming. Thought, though, I had him at the Red Sea. After God doing all those miracles, Pharaoh finally relented, but changed his mind, and his armies had him trapped. But the seas parted, they got away, and the greatest military force in the world at the time, they all drowned. More souls, though. I did get my redemption. Though while they were waiting for that reed guy to come down from the mountain where he was meeting with God, they made a golden calf and worshipped it, and were saying it was the God that delivered them. Then those who were left after God's wrath, when they got scared and wouldn't go into the land he promised them, that generation all died in the wilderness. Still God would not let up and still loved them. Even though their sin destroyed many of them, he was patient, I must admit. I would have wiped them all out if I were God. Then there was that shepherd kid. Not much to him, but he would slay a giant, lead the people back to God, even when I tempted him he, and slept with that moonlit beauty and had her husband killed, God still spared his life. God loved him and he loved God. His son Solomon was so wise, but Doc, this is what I've learned. The first man fell when a woman gave him the forbidden fruit. The strongest man, Samson, trusted a woman and he fell and she cut his hair and took away his power. The man after God's own heart, David, fell to a bathing naked beauty in moonlight. And the wisest man, Solomon, fell to over a thousand wives that turned his heart away from God. Not blaming women, Doc. Men are responsible. It just works out well this way. So anyway, these kings of the, this nation came and went. Some so honored me they did child sacrifices. Imagine, Doc. Parents sacrificing their kids to me by the thousands. Just like all the other nations did. I got, I got God's chosen people to do that. You know, like mothers do now on the modern day version of the slaying table. Then a king or a prophet would rise up and for a time they stopped worshiping me and started worshiping God again, but it didn't last and nation upon nation rose and fell. Then there was this time of silence, 400 years, nothing from God. You ever hear this saying it's quiet? Yeah, too quiet. I knew God was up to something. But since I'm just a creature with limitations, 
The only thing I knew was a messiah was coming with this cryptic message I heard in the garden back in the day. I would nip at his heel and he would crush my head. When God says that kind of thing, it kind of stays with you, Doc. Then, Doc, the silence was broken. I knew something was up when that angel Gabriel showed up talking to a young, poor virgin woman. God overshadowing her and she, with her agreement, and she became pregnant with child. That was a new one, Doc. So I figured, that must be the Messiah. Back then, Doc, they were rough on unwed mothers. If they believed she had sex with anyone outside of marriage, the rocks would fly. Joseph, her soon-to-be husband, believed the angel. After Jesus was born, and the child and the wise men seeing the star and bringing him gifts and worshiping him, I knew King Herod would go after the Messiah. He was a threat. But Herod was so paranoid. He had so many murdered family members killed, or killed so many family members. So once again, like with Pharaoh, all those young male children were murdered. But Joseph heard from God, and they all left before the massacre. I was close. I almost got him, Doc, but I missed. So I watched the kid growing up. I continued my plans. When the time comes, when I nip at his heel, it would be a death blow. There's no way he's going to crush my head. Then this locust-eating prophet showed up, named John the Baptist. He started baptizing people. I was there watching Jesus baptized, and I heard the voice out of heaven, This is my son, who I am well pleased. Then the Holy Spirit landed on him. If I had any doubts, Doc, who he was, they were gone. The Holy Spirit took him to the wilderness, where he didn't eat for 40 days, and that's where I met him face to face. Mono to mano, it was me and the Messiah, Doc. I thought for sure I had him. He was hungry. Told him, command the stones to be made in bread. Feed yourself. After all, you're the Messiah. I mean, that can't be too hard for you. He quoted scripture to me. Doc, I can't stand before the truth. But I wasn't done. So I said, all right, quote scripture at me. I'll quote scripture back at you. Cast yourself off the temple. The angels will catch you. They'll hold you up. You won't even so much bruise a toe. And you know what he did, Doc? He quoted the scriptures back at me. So I went for the juggler. Every human has lusted for power. And I just give him a, a penance of that. But I offered him all the kingdoms of the world. They were mine to give. If he'd just quote the scripture. But he quoted the scripture again. Mine to give. If he worshipped me. But he quoted the scripture again. Only the Lord God is to be worshipped. Then he ordered me to go. There was such authority when he spoke. I had to leave. Doc, I don't take orders from anyone. But it was like when I was kicked out of heaven. I faced a greater authority. Well, it just got worse. Those those three years, <laughs> diseases were healed. Had the demons trembling. Doc, if you could see the, into the supernatural, you would pee yourself. How frightening and fierce demons are. Mortals melt in terror before them. And they were back in hell trembling, Doc. Trembling. I'm talking about my greatest warriors, literally shaping and shaking in their demon boots. My kingdom was under assault, and there was nothing I could do about it. He was on the verge of completely bringing his kingdom to earth. This merry woman, we had her. And then she speaks. he speaks her name, casts out demons, more trembling demons. He forgave, he healed, and then Doc, he started raising people from the dead. Now getting in disease is one thing. And even kicking out demon possession. Well, that is impressive. But someone taking back who is mine, dead and buried, ready for eternal punishment, that just seemed to be a low blow, Doc. Then he gave these humans his authority to do what he was doing. And Doc, if you were alive back then, 
I would have had to be the demon's therapist because they needed one. They were having a rough time. It didn't look good, Doc. So I did what I do. I stirred up the religious leaders, thinking what they were doing would save the nation and save their religious kingdom. Plus, this Jesus guy just kept telling people he was going to die. Well, at least I thought he was cooperating. But then he raised the guy from the dead after three days. Three days! And he headed to Jerusalem, to the temple. And the people are going to make him their king. You know, Doc, humans are short-sighted. He wasn't going to be that kind of king. If I had my way, he wasn't going to be anything. These humans thought Rome was the oppressor. Well, they were, but earthly kingdoms don't last. But in the end, many felt betrayed. Then there was Judas, a weak link. He was easy. He didn't intend to betray Jesus, initially. He actually kind of did what I did. He had a disagreement with God in the way that he was handling things. And I entered in, Doc. It was so easy. And betraying Jesus with a kiss, that was just over the top. Doc, when a person's beliefs blind them, they ignore their sin. The chief priest and all the religious guys in power, they held interrogation of Jesus at night. They knew better. It was a sham of a trial. But you should have seen me, Doc. He would have walked away from every trap until that question was asked, Are you the Messiah? And he said yes. And I knew he was done for. I was at my best. It was glorious. I've not ever seen a man beaten more badly. The old saying, 39 lashes because 40 would kill a man, was nothing, Doc, compared to what Jesus went through. Humans, Doc, even made a crown of thorns and placed it on his head and beat his head and face with rods to push it down. Doc, I even whispered in his ear, so you could have been king over all of the kingdoms if you'd have just worshipped me. But now you are a mock king. Don't you just love humans? If your father God would have just listened to me, there'd be none of this. But no, you had to go about being their savior. Well, they seemed to appreciate it. I couldn't resist, Doc. The people actually spit on him. And just to rub it in, Doc, it worked out that Pilate, the Roman governor, offered the people a known murderer for Jesus. Or, and they chose the, the murderer instead of Jesus. And they called for Jesus' crucifixion. Doc, these humans are so easily whipped into a religious frenzy. They even proclaimed Caesar to be their king and brought down a curse on themselves by their very words. Well, Doc, he had to carry his own death instrument across. It wasn't light. He collapsed under the weight of it, and another man had to help carry it. Doc, out of all the ways I torture in hell, the crucifixion is by far the most brutal. I watched the nails go through his hands and feet, Doc. These were very large metal spikes, and the ropes and pulleys pulled the cross up until it dropped in the hole, and there he was, hanging between heaven and earth. You know, those religious leaders were better at mocking him than I was. He saved others. He can't save himself. Come down and we'll believe you, they said. Just for, sun, just for fun, I had the guy next to him on the cross swearing at him. Doc, I love it when people suffocate to death. There's something about God breathing life into them and my sucking the life right out of them. All he had to do was to call the angels, and it's Sodom and Gomorrah time all over again. But he didn't. And I sure the hell would have, Doc. But Doc, what happened next, no human could even see. Instead of God wiping out all humanity for their sins, which I hoped he would, let's get rid of these humans. 
and for crucifying his son. This Jesus guy, the Messiah, he took the curse off. All the wrath of the Father has towards sin that existed or ever will exist literally was beaten to his body. It was in every nail. It was in the crown. It was in every horrible word. Even the saliva that came off their faces when they spit at God, at him. Imagine, Doc. He was perfect, sinless. He became sin. Doc, even if I... I, being perfectly evil, could change to being perfectly good. It wouldn't compare. I realized watching him take it all as a final sacrifice. If he lived, there is no way I'd be able to stop his kingdom. I pride myself on power, Doc, but what I saw was like a supernova of sin that was as ancient as time explode on him. And you would think, Doc, with all that sin in his mouth would curse, the angels would have come to rescue him, Man would have been toast. Doc, he didn't curse. He was so pure and sinless at, at who he was as God, covered with the sin of the people. He said to the Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He asked the Father to forgive them. Then he said it was finished and gave up his spirit to heaven and died. I watched the spear pierce his body. I had to make sure he was dead. I was relieved. Blood and water flowed. Doc, I don't normally have a lot of emotion. But when Jesus died, the party was on in hell. Yes, the sky went dark, the earthquake, the curtain ripped. But I was figuring, maybe, now, like in the days of Noah, God was going to wipe them out. I waited. It didn't happen. That's how the day ended, Doc. I won. The Messiah was dead and gone and heaven was weeping. Talk about humans giving God the middle finger. Dr. Lynn took a deep breath. You've told me the less tragic part of your story. Yes, said Lucifer. That was all easy to share. What happened next was when my trauma happened. I take it you will share that tomorrow, said Dr. Lynn. Yes, Doc, on Sunday, said Lucifer. I'm not looking forward to that. Well, Doc, let's, let's end the, this session on a happy note. Do you know what happened is happening right now? I'm afraid to ask, Lucifer, said Dr. Lynn. Well, let me close your day with this. John caught the Doc up on the story of Nadia and Myra. Then he shared, Myra, Myra arrived in Asia on a supersonic jet and was picked up in a black SUV at the airport. She arrived at a high-rise office building, and after going through security with her escorts, entered into the elevator to what was known as the office. She opened the suitcase, revealing the head of Nadia, and the man spoke. His name was Gang Yi. So you're taking Nadia's place in leadership. Tell me how did you handle the loss of 500 prime young women and $3.5 million of fentanyl? All who were involved are now dead, said Myra. You personally gave the order to massacre 500 employees of mine? Yes. Very good. Except for one thing. The second in charge was my niece. Myra knew she would not be the leader 
and to place an exclamation point, a woman dressed in a black robe sliced Myra's head off, and it fell next to Nadia's in the case. You're in charge now, Jingvao. Do not fail me. The woman left the room with the airline tickets headed for Alaska. Lucifer looked at Dr. Lin. That would be 502 souls. He smiled. I'll see you tomorrow, Doc. John contacted William previously, asked him to pick him up. As he suspected, the assembly meeting had been postponed from tonight until Monday night. He decided to have a little fun before heading to the penthouse. He looked at William. Let's get some bitter coffee at the library. I hear they're having drag queen story hour. And then I have a letter I want you to deliver. Now I realize you will not hear this message in church. It may be a little too risque and violent for some listeners. And Lucifer's translation of the Bible isn't one I would recommend. Still, I've not heard the Bible told through the lens of Lucifer. And it really does bring home the point how much he didn't want humans to exist. How determined he was to destroy the Messiah. And how much God loves us. This podcast ends in a dark place with the death by crucifixion. And by those who witnessed it, it was the darkest time in creation's history. Lucifer believes he's won. Next episode will be in two weeks, and then it will be time for Lucifer to face his trauma. Join me in episode 17, Lucifer Meets the Resurrected Christ. I have a special announcement. Next Friday, October 28th, there will be a Halloween podcast called Trick or Treat. You won't want to miss it. Will it be a trick or a treat? You get to decide. (laughs) 